All righty. Thank you for joining us on our last episode, six of six of the Children's Mental Health podcast series uh, for Children's Mental Health Awareness Week. Uh, my name is Kevin Piskarek. I'm the program director at Youth Move PA. Um, we are wrapping up the podcast series with our last guest, and it's our very own Christopher Lunsford. So I will turn it, turn it over to him to say hi. And while he's saying hi, I'll just kind of let him introduce himself. And then while he's doing that, I'll just kind of ask him a general question of, what do you do in your job and how did you get there? Um, so if you don't mind sharing, uh, what's your experience in the child serving system? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, my name's Chris, um, I'm the, uh, youth care coordinator and call for change at, uh, the PMHCA. Um, so, you know, I work to, um, connect sources or like resources across the state for youth and young adults um, and advocate for their voices to reach people up on the top state level of the mental health care system. So that way they're represented uh, appropriately and um, any needs that they might have, we can try to bring them to the right people to, to get those services and programs and things like that implemented um, so that they can benefit from them. Um, now, I, I like to kind of simplify it. A lot of what I do is just advocate for youth and young adult voice. Um, the passion of mine, even before I started working here. Um, and so, I mean, obviously I get to work together really closely with like you, Kevin and Tristan at Youth Move PA, um, who are just doing all this really great work for youth and young adults across the state, making sure that their voices are heard. Um, so, I mean, I kind of got into this uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, mental health in general has always been something that's really important to me. Um, it, when I was a kid, I received my first mental health diagnosis uh, when I was five. Um, after I had expressed uh, that, you know, I wanted to kill myself, um, it's kind of a weird thing for a five-year-old to say. So uh, my mom um, took it pretty seriously and we went and, and saw some professional treatment and, uh, you know, so that kind of was the beginning of like this, this really long um, childhood of being in mental health services, um, in and out of hospitalization, um, seeing various professionals like, you know, therapists, psychiatrists, and taking lots of blood work and lab work to monitor like chemical levels and medications and, and things like that. Um, and so, you know, my experiences with all of that really, uh, it, it drove home to me how important mental health was. Um, it, it made it really clear to me how much stigma surrounded it. Um, based on my own experience and just other people that I met, um, young people that I met who are my peers at the time, um, who were also going through it and had, noticing how their experience differed a lot from mine um, in terms of like, who was supporting them um, and, you know, how many parents were understanding of what they were going through and were trying to help them or were being dismissive, you know, or, or anything in between. Um, I realized that my situation was pretty, pretty unique. So that kind of led me to 
you know, wanting to raise my voice about um, how I felt mental health should be um, taken seriously and how people should be supported who are going through um, symptoms of mental illness. And, you know, now being an adult, to see how it plays into substance use disorder and um, many other things like homelessness and, you know, people just getting into some rough and unfortunate uh, spots. Um, sometimes, and maybe a lot of times due to lack of support. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, the, the other question you asked me was like, my, about my experience in the, uh, the child serving mental health system. Uh, there's so much to talk about there. I mean, um, at what, what specifically do you want to know? Um, I'm trying to be a pretty open book, but it's pretty broad in my mind. So I'll just tell you real quick about myself. I, you were diagnosed at a very early age. Mm -hmm. um, my experience with my lived experience was I went undiagnosed. I believe at like 15, 16 years old, I self-medicated around that age and got into much heavier substance use then on for many years. Um, and my mental health also got much worse as I got older. You, on the other hand, um, were diagnosed very young and you were involved in that child uh, serving mental health system for quite some time. Um, so maybe just, just a little bit of an explanation on how your experience was in that child serving mental health system with, you know, I know you experienced going through that system with your mother, uh, with the support of your mother. Um, so maybe how that was in your experience with accessing treatment, um, therapy, stuff like that, maybe. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, my mom uh, was a huge figure in my life throughout all of this. Um, she was always my strongest advocate. I think um, when I look back, I remember her always trying to learn about what I was going through. Um, I mean, she, we took frequent trips to the library when I was a kid. I remember that very vividly. Um, and in the past, I think about that. I'd be like, all right, we're going to get, you know, a new fantasy book. Cause I loved reading fiction uh, and fantasy was my jam. Um, but I, I feel like she was probably trying to learn a lot too and picking up books to learn about, you know, mental illnesses and um, parenting stuff and things like that. Cause my mom was always a person who was, she wanted to learn. She was, loves learning. So she was always reading books and asking questions and things, um, which really helped me out when I was going through all of this. Um, so, you know, uh, the first things that I remember about this impacting uh, my life is obviously school. Um, when you're that young, um, that's kind of like the main thing you're doing outside the home is going to school. Um, so, you know, by like seven or eight, um, as I got into schools and out of just being in, you know, like, a, uh, I seem to remember being in like daycares and having babysitters and stuff like that, uh, where I'd kind of get into trouble. Um, I, I, was fighting a lot. And so, you know, um, I ended up being a, one of those kids with behavioral health issues. Um, and so 
you know, I got like IEPs and uh, went into special, the special education program, um, which kind of, I remember it being a bit of a double-edged sword. On one hand, I could act out and would get into trouble at school. And because that I had that IEP and was in special education, there were other things that would happen to me other than just, you know, uh, disciplinary action or, you know, uh, suspension and things like that. Like, um, I would get into trouble and then I'd go into a counselor's office. Right. And they would talk to me about what happened, you know, why are you feeling this way? What led to this? Um, I had people who would try to understand my situation. Um, and more often than not, you know, I still got in trouble. It wasn't like I avoided that. Um, but there was an extra step in between like the offense and then me getting in trouble. There was always this conversation that happened. Um, and so um, I, I started getting used to getting to know school staff um, pretty early. Um, in elementary school, I feel like I, I don't remember a ton of stuff from that time, but I remember um, forming strong relationships with my teachers, um, the ones that were you know special ed teachers. Um, I got to know the principal. Um, I got to know obviously all the counselors that were there. Um, and so that was kind of weird though, because one, you know how kids are, um, you start having a relationship with a teacher or a faculty member of some sort, and you're like labeled as like the teacher's pet, or, uh, as you get older into like middle school and high school, you're, uh, uh, excuse my soft language here a bit, but it's gonna, you know, it'd be a kiss ass. Right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that would always suck because then I always have to feel like I had to explain myself. Um, and me, I didn't see anything wrong with it. Like, why not, why not try to like have this communication understanding between teacher and students? Um, I, I saw a lot of benefit in it and I think I got a lot of support through it. Um, but when you're on the outside of that, just kind of seeing it, um, you have a different perspective. So, um, I mean, it's, that's just one example of how this affected things. But I mean, I got made fun of for being in, in special ed from my peers. Um, I dealt with a lot of bullying uh, in school, um, which really hurt my mental health and, um, and caused a lot of issues for me in the way that I saw myself. Um, and a lot of it was revolved around just things that I couldn't really control. You know, um, the fact that I, I had, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, and so, you know, I would be going uh, to the office you know, once a day to take my medication, right? Kids ask questions after a while. Why are you always leaving class? Where do you, what do you go to do? What's going on? Um, and I remember making up excuses um, most of the time because I didn't want to really talk about it because um, after I bring it up, people say things like, oh, you're crazy or you're weird or something's wrong with you. Like people will distance themselves, you know, and then you're out in the playground and you hear kids talking like in their, in their groups when you're going down the slide and they're hanging out like, pointing up at you or something. It's, it's, it sucks. Um, so I, but I got familiar with that stuff. And so when I got into middle school, I think that I started noticing, uh, like a new opportunity. Um, so, you know, this was important for me, uh, because towards the end of my elementary school, like I had gone to three different elementary schools. Um, one was in a totally different city. Um, so I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. 
Um, but uh, I started going to school at first in Farmington, New Mexico, which is about three hours north, I believe, uh, of Albuquerque. And so when we moved to Albuquerque, I got into a new school. Um, I got expelled from that elementary school uh, because um, I would get in a lot of trouble from fighting. But there was an event that happened where my teacher, um, he was an ex-Marine. His name was Mr. Kirby. He was a wonderful man, a uh, great teacher. I remember him fondly, very kind. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I, I had like a bit of an episode one day. Um, I threw a desk and uh, he came up behind me and, and restrained me and I headbutted him and it fractured his jaw. Um, and so I, after that event, I mean, I, I was obviously like suspended and then it led to expulsion. Um, now he, he never pursued anything beyond that. He was actually really, really compassionate as a person and just a good teacher to me. And he understood what led to that moment. Um, but you know, I still had done something wrong and that was something that I, I thought about for a lot of years. Um, and I, I felt guilty about, um, I still, still kind of do. He's, like I said, he's a good person. Like I wish that hadn't happened. Um, but I, I remember the way I felt and I did not feel in control. Um, I dealt with anger a lot back then as a kid. And it was one of the things that uh, became the focal point of my recovery that I would really hone in on learning how to manage that and to recognize it, um, mitigate it before it would uh, crop up. Um, which has led to a much more successful adulthood because that kind of stuff gets you in a lot of trouble when you're an adult. <laughs> All right. So, um, but you know, things like that had happened. And so when I hit middle school, I was like, I'm in a different district. Kids there don't know me. Um, you know, I had a couple, a couple kids that, that were in one of the elementary schools that I went to, but we were, you know, we didn't really like interact or anything like that. So there wasn't any bleed over. Uh, I was very fortunate in that. Um, so I kind of felt like this was a chance for me to kind of start, start fresh. Um, but during that time, I, I experienced a hospitalization. Um, this would have been my second time uh, in the uh, children's psychiatric hospital out there in Albuquerque. Uh, first time is kind of hard to remember. Um, although there's a couple of things that I do remember. But the second time I remember, we were talking about making excuses, the kids, and they'd ask questions. Um, I was in the hospital for about four months. And when I came back, kids were asking me where I was. Uh, and I remember telling them, this is so stupid in retrospect. Uh, I, went, I went on vacation to Disney World for four months. And that's like, <laughs> it's like it doesn't make any sense. Um, but I don't know. Either I was being humored or people bought it because <laughs> they, they, they would just ask me questions about Disney World and then we move on. You know, I didn't know. I'd never been to Disney World at that time. Right. Um, but I don't know what to tell people, you know. I was, I was kind of scared on how people were going to react. Um, so, you know, it, it, this just affected schooling a lot. And by the time that I... You know, I was on medications and things like that through middle school, but by the time I was done with middle school, I had effectively gotten off of all of my medications um, through uh, going through a lot of therapy, um, having access to community supports, my counselors, doing a lot of um, practicing of coping skills, 
mindfulness practices. Um, I had, I didn't even know what like a wellness plan was really um, back then. Cause we're talking like, I don't know, like 2000, let's see by the time I was out of middle school, 2005. Um, so, you know, the mental health system was kind of starting to change around that time into a more recovery oriented system. But um, I, I had managed to find some decent therapists after a long slew of not so good ones um, that were able to, to teach me things that, you know, a lot of people now might recognize as uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and uh, what was the D1 dialectal behavioral therapy, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, which helped me tremendously. Um, so much so that, like I said, I, I'm a person with lived experience of bipolar disorder. I'm not taking any medications. Uh, as of this day too, uh, I'm 30 years old now and I, I manage my symptoms all through coping skills and, and therapeutic practices, mostly on my own now, um, which I, again, realize is not everybody's situation. Um, I feel very fortunate uh, in that, but it all came from the supports that I had, you know? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, you, you talked about what a lot of what it was like in that child serving system support with support from from and with your mother um i heard you talk about stigma in there too um towards Mm -hmm. the beginning experiencing stigma from having to access the special education program um so experiencing all that um i'm just thinking and now in the position you're in with PMHCA, uh, I, I know you facilitate uh, our support group every week. So you do have some some contact with youth on a weekly basis and with your 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 stream that you do, uh, yeah. your, your Twitch stream. What do you see is maybe the most the, the most significant need when it comes to children and mental health? I think and it's, it's amazing how long um, this has been, in my mind, the most significant need. But I think there's a strong need to feel heard um, when it comes to youth's mental health. Um, a lot of what I talk with youth about or what they'll bring to me um, is I'm going through this and I'm feeling, you know, whether it's depressed or um, suicidal or just heartbroken. And, you know, I'm feeling these things sometimes it's positive things too. Like I'm really excited about this and nobody gets it. He gets why, um, I'm feeling something and someone doesn't understand. And the, someone is usually their parent, their teacher, their friend. Um, most of the time it has to deal with a, an adult that they're referring to that doesn't get it or doesn't understand. Um, and I'll always ask like, oh, well, why don't you, you know, talk to them about that? And they're like, I've tried and it hasn't worked. Um, and then we'll go into the specifics of, you know, how they tried, um, see if maybe we can find some, a different approach or something like that. But um, a lot of times what will happen is uh, a youth will feel something very strongly, uh, either exhibit a behavior or bring it up in conversation, be met with uh either misunderstanding or like quick fix solutions, something that shuts them down and then they don't want to engage anymore. 
they're like, well, that's not how I, you don't get it. You're not listening to me. Um, I don't want to talk to you about this anymore because I feel like it's pointless. It's not going to be anywhere. I'm assuming it would be better met with active listening, compassion, and empathy. Yes. <laughs> yes. And and so that's really the answer to your question there. Uh, the greatest need for children's mental health would be more of that active mm. listening, compassion, and empathy. It goes so far. Mm. Absolutely. So when it comes to influence, where do you think most of the influence comes when it comes to children and youth mental health? I mean, aside from uh, interactions that they'll have with adults like that, because that's a strong influence on them. Uh, like, can't state just how strong an influence that is on them. Um, they pick up on things real quick from the way that they interact with adults. Um, but the way that they interact with their peers, um, which it's 2022, things are digital nowadays, um, like more so than ever, right? So they're spending more time online. Um, most the majority of their time is interfacing with people um, in some digital space. So I think that technology influences their mental health a lot in a significant way. Um, and I think that, and it's not all, I think people might hear that and think immediately of like the negative things, right? I, I say influence is a neutral term. I, it's positive and it's negative. Um, they have the capacity to make friends with people all across the world of all different ages and backgrounds in ways that nobody before them has. And that gives them such a wide worldview and a perspective that most people don't get in an entire lifetime. Um, and, and that's going to continue on into their adulthood. Like, I think that's amazing. Um, we don't even know what that's going to look like 20 years from now in regards to the potential. Um, but obviously there's pitfalls to this too. Um, sometimes you don't know who you're talking to. Sometimes the influence of these social media platforms, especially, um, uh, end up, end up being so strong. Like they've done a bunch of news articles and exposés and whatever on like Instagram, the way it influenced, um, youth mental health. Right. And, um, they found that, uh, kids were suffering more with depression because they would, you know, go online and see people posting all these perfect images of their lives. And then they would compare it to their own lives and be like, well, my life's not like that. I, I must suck, you know? Um, and, and then they would just like feel bad about themselves. And then the people that are posting on social media, a lot of times would go and try to like create like the perfect moment to share. Um, and so then they would just, you know, work really hard to make themselves look fantastic. And then people wouldn't see the things that they were actually going through and would assume that they're, they're fine. Their lives are good. Um, and that eventually shifted into this culture of like, um, you, everybody has to try to look perfect. And if, if they don't, then they want to hide it away and keep it to themselves. But it's interesting because while that's going on, those very same people are also on other places online advocating for change and trying to be like mental health matters. And there's all these problems that people are going through that are unseen. Like you should think twice before you make an assumption about somebody. Um, so they can talk about these ideas very openly and, and broadly and passionately. But when it comes to like something really personal, it gets really hard to 
to open up about it. Um, and I think that's, if anything is a, a testimony to how that's influenced children's mental health, it's that, that paints a pretty good picture of it. Yeah. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Uh, I, I was just thinking, and I was looking at one of the last questions I was going to ask you is how can adults be more in tune with children and youth to give them support and, uh, and nurturing that they need. Um, and we kind of already talked about it, but if you, uh, if you could think about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, I think, pretty decent answers to this. Uh, and you're right. We did cover a couple of things. What with, uh, the act of listening and trying to, you know, really understand where, where our youth are coming from. But I think that learning to speak their language um, and to understand like what they care about is huge. I think that would be a, a really powerful way to become more in tune with them. And I'm, it's so funny because I, I talk about myself, like I know I'm 30 years old now, I'm an adult, I'm not a, a youth anymore, but I still have this like, like inner child all the time that I feel like I'm just putting out there. And um, sometimes I have to be faced with a reality check that like, Oh man, you got a, you got a different perspective than, <laughs> than what uh, you used to have. And, and other people also perceive you differently. So think about that. But um, I think that, I think that we really need to speak their language. Like if they're caring about uh, a video game, and they're spending a lot of time playing with their friends on there. Um, as an adult, like we should, we're trying to guide, right? But I think we should spend less time overwriting their experience and their interests and, and the things that they're passionate about with what we think that they should be passionate about or what they should care about um, and spend more time trying to figure out how to marry those two things. Um, in our pursuit to guide, youth. I think oftentimes we have this ideal path in our minds that we think that we can put them on and they'll go and be successful and happy. Um, and if something's not aligning with that path, we're kind of like, nope, nope, come back over here. Stop going that direction. Um, and it, we might not even realize that those two paths might be just parallel paths going in the same direction. Um, but it's different. So we're, we're like, no, you need to come back over here and rein it in. Um, I think that that turns, turns kids off, man. It, it makes them feel misunderstood and not heard like we were talking about earlier. Um, and like, they don't have an ally in, in the adults that are really with good intent, trying to, to help guide them in the right direction. Um, but because they don't feel like they're allowed to be themselves. Um, and if they are trying to be themselves, it's either bad or not good enough, then they'll kind of sh shut down. So I think that, um, we should just learn to speak their language more, care about the things that they have to say and try to let them know that we're listening to them. Yeah, sometimes as, as adults, we think we know what's best for children and youth, um, and that's not always the case. Uh, sometimes we just need to provide support and provide options. Um, yeah. And sometimes we need to let young people make mistakes. Um sometimes the most most growth we experience is in our mistakes so um yeah you're absolutely right uh so the over overarching thing theme of our podcast which you very well know because you've been on here for six days in a row I is, might. 
what's our uh, what's your real realistic and ideal uh, mental health children's mental health system kind of look like? So I'm going to be kind of broad on my thought on this because specifics are something that take me time to dig into. And we don't have that kind of time on a podcast, but um, I think an ideal child serving mental health system is one that's flexible, that is going to be malleable as, as times change and as our youth change. So it takes individualized needs into concerns or into concern and doesn't try to like fix things with a blanket statement. Um, and that means employing on a programmatic and system level that active listening value, right? Everybody that comes in to receive some sort of treatment or service is different. Um, so there should be you know, questions that are being asked. Uh, we should be trying to speak their language so we understand what it is actually that they need, what works for them, what doesn't work for them. Um, and I think that a piece of that that would be really powerful is children having the ability to say, hey, this is working for me, or hey, this isn't working for me. Um, I, I know it came up in a conversation not too long ago where uh, you see this thing that happens with children in the mental health system where they might be receiving a service, it's working for them, and because it's working for them, um, they like graduate out of it, but they might not be ready to do that yet. You know what I mean? Um, or they might be ready to move on to something that would help them more before they are like have graduated, quote unquote, out of it. Um, so I think that, you know, it, we need to look at that as something that can happen um, and be flexible. Because I don't think that we remember all the time as adults who get very set in our ways and we, we form habits and routines. And I'm, I'm the same with this too, um, where we're used to things being the same for an extended period of time. For youth, you know, things are changing by the day. Everything's very fast. A week is a really long time. So you talk to a youth who's been doing the same thing for a month in these programs to them. I mean, that's like a quarter of a school semester, right? Uh, that's a long time. Um, so I think that we need to remember that time moves a little bit quicker for them and, and or not quicker for them, but the pace of things is faster for them, which makes shorter amounts of time seem longer right. for them. They might need to change something up sooner than we think they do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I just want to thank you for for being on here. Um, you know, it's this is the last of six podcasts that we did for Ch Children's Mental Health Aware uh, Awareness Week, and um, you know, I, I know the work that you're doing with us, and uh, I appreciate everything you're doing, and I just want to tell you that. Um, thank you. Yeah, I mean you know, the work we do is awesome and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, and, and I, I appreciate you being part of our team. That's for sure. Um, happy so, to be here. Awesome. With that being said, uh, do you have any closing remarks? We're going to close it up and that's going to be it for the podcast series. Yeah. Just anybody who's listening out there. Um, I want you to know that your story matters your voice matters. And if you're going through a tough time right now, um, I want you to know that people love you and keep your head up and your heart strong. 
Thank you, Chris. And just because it's Mental Health Awareness Month doesn't mean that mental health awareness should not be every other month of the year. So I, I feel like that's something that should be said and should be said out loud. So um, although it is Mental Health Awareness Month, so <laughs> just it's just the beginning. So uh, we're just kind of getting started. We have events coming up. We have trainings coming up. We have wellness days in the summer. So uh yeah sign up for membership uh email us uh stay in contact with us thank you for joining us on our story isn't over